Today, I'm sitting down with Mike Einziger, lead guitarist of the rock band Incubus, and Anne-Marie Simpson Einziger, acclaimed violinist and composer. Together, they are the co-founders of Mother Science. This is an incredible story you cannot miss. Hi everyone and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable in Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you're an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now, without further ado, it's delight to welcome our guests for today, Mike and Anne-Marie. They are husband and wife and co-founders of the biotech beauty brand, Mother Science. You may also know them as musicians. Mike is a lead guitarist and co-founder of the rock band Incubus, as well as a co-writer of Avicii's hit, Wake Me Up, which I think is so cool. <laughs> Anne-Marie is a violinist and composer, as well as a longtime collaborator of my favorite, Hans Zimmer, on numerous film scores, including Sherlock Holmes, Instella, and 12 Years a Slave. Together, they launched Mother Science in May this year, 2023, with a revolutionary antioxidant molecule at the core of the brand. It's never been used in skincare before, and I'm so excited to dive right into the story because innovation on a molecular level is truly an incredible feat. So Mike and Marie, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. So I asked my guests the same question. And I'm actually curious to know if you're going to be uh, intrigued by each other's answers as husband and wife. But I'm going to ask Mike first, who in a nutshell is Mike? <laughs> probably be better to ask her that question um i'm just i i'm i'm a nerd sort of masquerading as a as a musician in a rock band that's really like my nucleus <laughs> i love that i love that. and i love that you definitely lived up to that by using the word nucleus just there so i love it um <laughs> Uh, and, 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 and I get it. I'm a scientist. I do puzzles every day. I'm an engineer by trade. So you and I. Uh, yeah. Same. No, it's a, there, there, there are many rabbit holes to be dived down into deeply. And, um, and I like going those places and, uh, that's really what mother science is all about for, for me. And, and Anne-Marie will speak to, to. Yeah. His answer is correct. I thought I was marrying yeah. a rock star. I was all excited. Yeah. I was like, and he went to Harvard. Like, how lucky am I? But really, he's a nerd <laughs> deep down. That's I, I married a, a genius, and it's even better that <laughs> that he loves chemistry, that he loves science. Um, I loved your words to describe your company as bringing modern hair care by using ancient technology. Those are oxymoronic to say modern and ancient together, but the intersection of those two is like it. it it's basically where so many good ideas come from. It's where new science emerges. Um, it's where we've positioned our brand in a certain way. We can get into that later. But Mike is, he's the, he's a modern nerd. He's, he's a rock star nerd. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I guess, Anne-Marie, who are you in a nutshell? 
in a nutshell, I would say that I am a teacher. A lot of people don't know that I used to teach conceptual physics and chemistry. And that's actually the thing that it's the through line that takes me through all of the adventures that I've had as a musician and as an entrepreneur. I feel like education and knowledge, it's such a precious thing to share and it's such a privilege to share it. And it's exciting and it's fun and being on the edge of knowledge, learning new things, sharing new things. Um, that's, that's my happy place. Data is my love language and sharing it is how I connect with the world. So I feel like teacher is who I am at, at the core of it all. Oh, what amazing answers by both of you. So already I'm so excited for this conversation today. So, I mean, there are so many places we could start a conversation. I feel like I do want to go, you know, down memory lane and start in the childhood. But I think first, because I'm just dying to know, how did you guys both meet? Oh, you know, we're both musicians. So uh, we have some overlapping uh, work colleagues that uh, knew both of us and tried to connect us actually about a year before we ended up actually connecting. And I was uh, leaving Harvard in 2010 and Anne-Marie was getting ready to go off to Africa for, for a few months. And um, I needed to find a collaborator on something that I was working on in LA. And I, I didn't know any, any violinists in Los Angeles. So I reached out to Anne-Marie to work on uh, something that um, I was working on at the time for the BBC and that was like, it was over for me. As soon as I met her, I was just like, Oh my, how, how do you even exist? Like, who are you? Shout out to Matthew Murphy. He was our, our mutual tour manager in common. He told me that I would love Mike. He told Mike something similar about me and I didn't believe him. I was like, he's like, he's like your weird uncle from, from <laughs> like, you know, the boroughs of New York. Who, I mean, who wears, beloved. Be- sorry. Beloved. You, I, absolutely. Beloved. Without question. <laughs> he wears a cowboy hat and sounds like Frank Sinatra. And he's like such a oh, funny no. guy. He's the, he's the greatest. He's a legend. Um, and he's he's like, hey, baby, you're going to love this girl, baby. She's amazing. And that's like how he talks to everybody. Uh, we ended up meeting and um, and then we had, you know, once we started sort of communicating, it turned out that we had a lot more in common and a lot more friends in common. You know, very mm-hmm. soon after we met, we started collaborating together with Hans Zimmer, who Anne-Marie was already collaborating with, but I had been friends with him for years and we had always talked about collaborating, but hadn't done it. So it was kind of like Anne-Marie became like this, this like reason for all of us to just make music together. And we scored a a bunch of movies together, sort of like all uh, kind of in a row. And it was really a really fun, exciting, uh, interesting and creative time for all of us. So um, yeah, that's how we met though. So cool. I mean, I love it. Um, So I want to start, I'll start with you, Anne-Marie, about um, your childhood growing up. And I mean, we, I, we have, albeit I'm a, like a very minute version of your success, but I, I was you know, over 10 years a violinist, over 10 years a pianist. So do you have some similarities there? <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not a very good one. Uh, I, 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 I did it. For, I mean, I did my grades I, I, in London. We have like grade eight. So I did all my grades. So I did that. But um, if you ask me to play now, I, uh, no. So um, <laughs> I wanted to know sort of like what got you into music growing up? And then eventually, did you kind of ever like think about beauty during this time? Because I do think music and beauty are such interconnected worlds, but a lot of people might not see it till later on in life. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I grew up in a musical family. 
uh, but an unconventional musical family. My mother played piano, was trained classically, and my dad played guitar and banjo and wanted to play bluegrass music. So folk music, classical music was my upbringing. And the violin was something I started at age three, mainly because my parents saw it as an instrument that bridged their two worlds. Violin can play classical music, and it's also a fiddle. You can play all of those traditional folk tunes with it. And so I grew up learning how to play by ear um, because the classical method I was using, uh, Suzuki method, did uh, really emphasize music as a language. And then the folk tradition is all about playing by ear. So I really feel like I learned music as a language. I don't ever remember learning how to play. I've always just been able to play. Um, I had perfect pitch that was discovered when I was really young, which is a great gift and a great tool that you can use to expand your musical ability. And it was interesting because when you study classical music and study folk music, you realize that there are purists in those worlds that do not like those two musics mixing. So classical musicians worried that my bow grip, my technique would be compromised because of the fiddling that I was doing. Meanwhile, the fiddling community was skeptical of me being able to read music because that's cheating. You can't just buy a book of folk tunes and, and learn it and play it. You have to do that oral tradition. Um, and the posturing is a little different when you hold the violin. There's like a specific classical posture. So you would stand out in like a folk music festival as being other. And then it didn't help that um, that I'm of mixed race, I'm half white, half Chinese. And so at these bluegrass festivals, it, being a child, <laughs> playing music, um, it was something that really stood out. But I feel like having this duality of identity as a musician served me well because new things emerge when you have a duality in your background. And the new animal that came out of me was I was a great rock violinist because you had to have the virtuosity and you also had to have the ability to improvise, um, that stage presence, to move. And it, the combination of the classical and folk training really set me up to to go into these alternate genres and to go into world music. Um, the discovery from Alice Azen actually happened while I was on tour with A.R. Rahman in India. And having that ability to improvise and hang with these amazing musicians uh, with their amazing technique um, was something that uh, was built uh, starting from my childhood, that it, that classical training mixed with the folk sensibilities. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to weigh in here and sit and suggest that you know, the term sort of rock violinist, I don't even think comes close to describing um, the talent and ability that Anne-Marie has. And it's really a, you know, I'm like a fake it till I make it type of guy, but you're not. And, um, you know, you really did the training and have the, have the background. And, you know, rock music is really about being intuitive and it's not necessarily about training. And oftentimes it's not, but because you have all this folk music in your history and bluegrass is so virtuosic and athletic as a form of music and classical music is in its own way and has its own sort of, you know, regimented discipline that you, th that it requires and demands. So you sort of have all of those things. And then when you get thrown into a situation where you're scoring films, that's where I think, you know, it became really obvious that like her skills were, um, unlike other people's and, um, and uh, just it's difficult, I think, for a lot of, you know, like more classically trained players to go into situations like that um, or the opposite, you know, like, um, you know, people who, you know, have had the classical training, you know, might not be able to pull off certain things as well or be able to read, for example. 
um, sight read something like they're reading it out of a book and she can do all of those things. And I, I'm totally, even still, you know, after being together for, <laughs> I, I, I still like, I'm, 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 I'm in awe of that. And, um, so it's, it's, it's been awesome to be, just to be able to stand next to that, you know, and be around that and, um, and learn from it. Um, and, you know, sort of my own ways, but do you know, are you familiar with the method, the methodology for determining, uh, when it's called a violin and when it's called a fiddle? But no, I should like in my, in my head, I know sometimes I thought they were the same, but I know that's not true. So no, yeah. there's a very formal methodology for determining the difference between a fiddle and a violin. So if it's within, if it's, if, if it's within a hundred feet of uh, an open bottle of wine or any form of alcohol and a lit cigarette is called a fiddle. Is that actually true? No, it's <laughs> it's him exercising his like dad joke sensibility, which I don't know why he's believing that right it now for a podcast. I actually I, like I, I don't drink at all, and I never smoked a cigarette. So. Oh, so you don't have to be the yeah. one. Oh, yeah, you don't have to be the one drinking. You don't have to be yeah. the one drinking. You just, have to be, you just have to be in vicinity. That's what he said. Right? Hundred feet. Hundred <laughs> yeah. feet. If it's within a hundred feet, it's a fiddle. Yeah. Think about it. It all works out. The math, the math works. Data, data matters. Exactly. Data matters. And dad joke aside, um, to follow back my intersection with the beauty world, um, I feel like as a performer, um, as soon as I started going up on stage, um, makeup became something that was really important and makeup would tell the story of who you were. A lot of times um, from another person's perspective, a makeup artist or a performer that you were working with. And mm-hmm. um and it's actually really interesting. It was an interesting time of my life where I was just wearing tons of stage makeup and everybody was sharing yeah. beauty secrets. And mm. beauty secrets, I felt like, was this currency that you would share with other artists. They would tell you about their favorite products. Um, same thing with the makeup artists and hairstylists. You would ask them, like, what's your favorite? What's cool? What's new? And it started um, becoming obvious to me that people who were interested in beauty were citizen scientists. They weren't talking mm. about like products in just like a very unsophisticated way. Like this is pretty. They would be like, oh, this I really love because it has hyaluronic acid and it. it really clumps your skin. And they were, they were using chemical ingredient lists and in describing um, why a product had certain merits or they would say, oh yeah, it's non-comedogenic. And they would have they were always using terms that were kind of showing that they had sophistication of biology or chemistry. And the duality of my music playing was that I was also really interested in science. I double majored in biology and taught conceptual physics and chemistry for a while. So I would always lean into that science part of beauty. That that was my light beauty background is just being in, in the makeup chair and partaking in many beauty trained secret conversations oh i love thanks for sharing that it's, it's it's very important to see i guess those early connective thoughts of like and it's so true science and beauty it's it's it does go hand in hand if you decide to know clearly what you guys have done is a perfect epitome of that but we'll, i want to get into that story in a bit but mike tell us a bit about your kind of upbringing and also how you sort of landed um in your your foot in the music industry in such a strong way yeah, so um, I grew up like Anne Marie in a musical family. Uh, my mom, when I was a little kid, uh, was a children's music teacher, um, and she actually led a program for the LA Philharmonic, where she drove a little van around filled with 
orchestral instruments and she would show them to preschools. And, and I was like a little helper at age like three or four. And I would go with her to these different classrooms and show, um, you know, violins and violas and, you know, different percussive instruments, et cetera, to all these little kids who were the same age as I was, which was, which was really cool. Um, so, you know, my older sister, my younger brother were also, you know, playing music constantly in the house. Um, I started playing guitar when I was about 12, um, and, uh, started the band Incubus when I was 15, just with my friends in school. Um, you know, about a year before that I'd been involved in a really serious auto accident that took my athleticism away from me for a while. I was very athletic. Um, and so I had to sit out, um, you know, running and, you know, surfing and skating and all the stuff that I was really into as a kid. Um, I couldn't do that for a while. So I, I, that's when I really got into music and very mm-hmm. shortly after I sort of recovered from that car accident, um, it took about a year. Um, we started the band Incubus. It was, you know, just my friends from school. We were just playing in the garage, you know, like, like all the other bands, you know, start in high school, but for whatever reason, um, people seemed to really be interested in what we were doing from the very beginning. Like for some reason we were just sort of different than other bands. Like when we would play shows, there'd be hundreds of people there later became thousands of people. But you know, when we would get off the stage, like all those people would go away. (laughs) So we kind of felt bad for a lot of the bands that we were playing with who were oftentimes our friends. Um, and it just kind of stayed that way and just kept growing. And, you know, we ended up signing to Epic Records, right. You know, which is a, a division of Sony music when we were, you know, just barely 18 years old, right after we graduated high school. And I didn't have any, none of us in our band had any connections in the music industry at all. Um, we had to find mentorship ourselves, but I'm grateful for that because we, you know, we found some incredible people. I found some amazing people to work with and learn from. And, um, and, you know, many of those people are now, um, you know, doing amazing things. A lot of them were, you know, younger people at the time and now they're, you know, running things. And it's a, it's really interesting how over time, you know, you can build these networks of people and who support you and you support them. And, and it's just, uh, amazing to see in all these years later, but that, that's really the story of uh, how the band started. And over time, you know, things just kept going right for us, you know, luckily, well, whatever you want to call it, you know, it was kind of like baby steps and it all felt logical as it was happening. Um, you know, we kind of had these small goals for ourselves and then every once in a while, some crazy, crazy thing would happen, you know, where we would, you know, like sort of, uh, accelerate really rapidly. And, and, um, you know, so over, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years of touring, um, you know, we've sold over 25 million records all over the world. And, yeah. you know, we've played concerts all over the world and, um, you know, basically just did all the things that we ever dreamed we could have done as, as young people making music and, um, you know, and then pivoting completely into, you know, building, uh, technology companies. And we consider this a technology company mother science is a technology company. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we also have a networking technology company called mix halo that was sort of born out of our experience being on tour. Um, and we're just curious, um, human beings who love solving problems and, you know, learning about things and sharing them with each other. And, and, you know, if you can create something that people care about in the world, it's really gratifying. 
and to build something that no one's ever built or to solve a problem no one's ever solved. Like, it's just the same feeling to me as like, you know, writing a song that people really connect with. It, it all scratches the same itch for, for me. Oh, that's, well, I, well, I think I, I, there's so much to talk about, but I think then we'll, we'll be here all day because your careers are just, I mean, exceptional, but at the same time, I, I really want to get into the story of mother science because there's so many questions I have. Um, but I do have one random question because I didn't, this wasn't in my idea before, but have you guys done escape rooms before? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is, okay, there cool. Was a period. That, that was the question. Was that's, that's what it was. <laughs> Because I'm addicted. I'm I'm obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. There was a period of time right before the pandemic hit where escape rooms started becoming really popular. And um, there were a bunch that popped up in Los Angeles. And me and Anne-Marie and a couple of our other friends, like we did all of them yeah. at the time. Okay. So we love escape rooms. <laughs> you know, I say that because like, I mean, I've done over maybe two, three hundred now. Like I'm that addicted. Oh, awesome. Um, I would literally, I did, I was in Saudi Arabia for work the other day and I was so bored. I went to a place and I was like, can I do it on my own? They're like, no. And I said, I'll pay whatever. I'll pay for room of four. Just like, I need to do it on my own. And it was like a horror <laughs> theme, which made it even worse. Like I was trapped in this like cage and it was like dark alleyway. And I was like, and I was like, okay, maybe there is something wrong with me. That, and they were like laughing the whole time because they were like, <laughs> no one has ever wanted to be on this on their own. And I'm like, I just wanted to solve some stuff. Uh, so yeah, when I'm next in LA or wherever I, we, we hang out next, we're going to do an escape room together. Yeah, but there are such good story. ones out here. I, I, okay, done. I just wanted to say this because I was like, that was in my head the whole time you were saying like solving problems and stuff. I was like, they might be my new escape room founder buddies. So I found it. Yay. <laughs> For my birthday, when we were on tour with Hans Zimmer, my little sister made an escape room in my hotel. <laughs> no so she like way. used the safe and like the iPad and like hid clues so everywhere cool. so that I could get my present. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, we're, we're properly obsessed there, there's there's a commonality here. <laughs> I, I see it. I see it. This is so exciting. Um, well, okay. So mother science. So, um, I mean, there might be a bit of a backstory that you need to answer to, but tell us how it all started. So the the long story short, I was on tour in India when I noticed that I had these lightened patches of skin on my back. I learned later from a dermatologist that it's a harmless. Uh, overgrowth of something that's a part of your microbiome and the condition is called tinea versicolor. And mm. to me, these lightened patches were fascinating because they took a long time to go back to normal, but I was assured that they would go back to normal. I was told that it was nothing to worry about because it was one of the most common skin conditions in the world um, and that there were no risks to having it except for these lightened patches that took a long time to go back. Um, mm. And I also learned that they wouldn't burn in the sun. That to me was so fascinating. Um, and I really wanted to understand what's going on in my own skin. What's happening here? Why is the skin extra protected? Why is the skin lighter? Or another way of thinking about it is brighter. Um, and so that became the, the hook that drove our obsession, our mutual obsession. We wanted to learn everything about this condition. We wanted to learn everything about what could possibly be causing the changes in my um, my skin that were positive, like the not burning, the um, the brightening. And we had a hypothesis that it was a novel molecule that's found on every human skin, um, a metabolite of your skin's microbiome called malassezin. And we, <laughs> I can't emphasize how much 
how many nights we didn't sleep because we were obsessed with solving this problem. We, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't hypothesize um, the existence of malseason. We learned. You know, we we found malseason. We, we, we found malseason. Uh, I'm looking at thin layer chromatography distillation yeah. of like all the metabolites, wow. <laughs> and and learned that it that um you know the there were there was you know decades and decades and decades of of literature of scientific literature um sort of mm. describing to neighbors of color and sort of hypotheses about you know what might be contributing to certain clinical appearances of to neighbors of color, but nothing. Mm. Um, well, most of that literature really sort of described, um, the effect as like sort of a, a disease state for lack of a better term, yeah. like, yeah. like an hour wanted to eradicate the imbalance. Nobody wanted to understand like, what's this all lining? What is, what molecule yeah. is presenting itself that has a really important use, um, so, that can be leveraged for the good of all humanity. <laughs> so our, exactly. our hypothesis our hypothesis became that uh, malassaism was uh, being produced as a as a response to you know something changing in the microbiome that um, is beneficial and helpful f- for maintaining homeostasis rather than something bad. So it's really easy to look at these you know these effects or or you know metabolites that are produced and think that they're part of a disease, but our our, you know, hypothesis was that they were doing good things and that they were um, mm. actually helpful. And then when we started working with malaise and, and learning about its properties and characterizing it, we learned that it was only doing good things, not causing any, you know, bad effects. It was having a calming effect on the skin. It acts um, as a as a basically just has a, you know, a, a very has there are a lot of benefits to what Malzaza was doing. It was not yeah. causing problems. As we characterized yeah. it, we found out that it was a natural antioxidant, 10 times more potent than vitamin C, um, and also very wow. stable, which is yeah. you know your body's own natural antioxidant um, that has co-evolved with you. That's where the ancient technology comes into play. Characterizing it is where the modern technology came to, into play. And we characterized this mm. molecule with such scientific rigor um, it, we can't even emphasize how much, how many tests we did. Uh, we went above and beyond the testing that usually goes into a cosmetic product. Um, multiple wow. clinical trials, um, testing on ex vivo skin, really facial, characterizing facial biopsies yeah. with you know his, wow. histological analysis. I mean, we would yeah. we just we went, you know, we we wanted to make sure that um, you know when when. Uh, commercializing a novel compound that's never been used in any commercial capacity before. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were very comfortable and that our team was very comfortable with the safety profile of malasaisin. Yeah. Um, but, 100%. you know, we, we also felt like we were starting from a good place, which is this is a chemical that's naturally produced in the, in the microbiome, in the along with other yeah. compounds like hyaluronic acid, um, you know, yeah. azelaic acid. There are, t- there are lots of different constituents of the microbiome that have been commercialized into cosmetic use, but malsaison had not been. So we felt like we were starting from a a good place of safety, but, you know, we needed to really prove that out and for us to be comfortable. Can can I ask a question? Because, like, you know, you've seen this rise of of, um, these, like, retinol, hyaluronic acid. And, um, of course, when you've gone in your research, 
you'd always be asking this question, how, why are we the first? Like, why has no one thought about sort of taking this and, and understanding it? Because as you said, it's more pertinent vitamin C and this is something that naturally occurs. So it would be easily the best thing to use in your own skin if you can re-engineer it to, to also fix your hyperpigmentation, et cetera. Why hasn't it been done in your head? That was the question that I kept on asking myself. I kept saying, yeah. this is so obvious. Like we're looking for something that can brighten the skin. And here's this thing that happens on tons of people all the time that germs are looking at and saying, oh, your skin got brighter in this patch. This is what you have to put on it to get rid of it. I was thinking, why don't we understand what's happening? It's safe. It's natural. Um, it's tolerated by every human in the world because it's already on every human skin. So to me, I thought it was obvious. And the first dermatologist that we brought it up to is um, a world-renowned expert in pigmentation studies. Her name is Dr. Pearl Grimes. She's the head of the Vitiligo and Pigmentation Institute of Southern California. She holds other accolades. She's on the board of so many things. She's published a seminal paper. She's a lecturer at UCLA. Um, she's just very well-respected a global leader in pigmentation. We started describing our hypothesis to her. And before we even said, so we thought that we could, and then, you know, talk about leveraging this molecule for, um, for skin health. She was like, how did you discover this? <laughs> the, 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 I think the, the, the bigger point is that every researcher, scientist, dermatologist, mm -hmm the more specialized that people, be, the conversations became, every person that we talked to would ask us that same question. So, you know, the, the, so, so, you know, it's. They were like, it's so obvious. When, uh, it, when we describe it to them. It must be because the, 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 the people that really understood it and know about it um, are definitely incredible leaders in their field, but they're so specialized and perhaps a little bit further removed from commerciality, right? So maybe in their first mindset is not how can we use it to solve uh, a concern and let's make it a viable product. It's more, I just need to understand it. So that's often the case with a lot of, very, um, you know, people in this profession, it's, uh, they don't actually see that side of it. So it needs people like yourself that appreciates it, but also can potentially inspire them to see the, 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 yeah, the, the, the power of it and, and the potential use of it. Right. Yeah. Also all, all really great ideas, I think tend to seem obvious in retrospect you know, or at least many of, at least many of them do, you know? And, and so, you know, Dr. Grimes and others, you know, that we spoke with early on, you know, would say, I look at this skin condition every single day. And I, and, and it took somebody who is not a dermatologist, um, or a, you know, a pigmentation research scientist or a pharmacologist, uh, to, to just sort of ask the, the question, which is Anne-Marie, you know, that just speaks to her intuitive abilities. Um, well, it was reframing a problem. It was instead of how do I eradicate this? How can I leverage this? And that was this the simple twist that led to the, the epiphany and and eventually to Mother Science being launched as a fully formed brand that is bringing this new molecule to everyone. So let's talk about it. Like that's that's an incredible. Um, I guess like not only the name. Just want to say amazing genius from a trademarking and what kind of stuff. 
kudos it's to you guys because it's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, Thank you. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, as a founder, you know, when you see a brand, you see the product, you see the look, you see the science, you're just like, you're like, I wish I was a co-founder. You know, that kind of thing. It's so, it's so, everything about what you guys have built is just so good. But I want to know a little bit about, I guess, the lead up to the first, your, your current skew, which is the molecular hero serum and how that, how that, um, why you settled on a serum first. Um, I can speak to that and then you can jump in. We wanted to launch with a hero product and also a product that would introduce malasaicin. Uh, because we have this huge lift when people go to buy things. I was talking about the citizen science community. They're looking for things like vitamin C or retinol. They're looking for specific ingredients. And when you are in a category that is not in anything that they think that they need or have ever looked at, you have to do this heavy lift of saying, hey, introducing malasaicin. And so putting hero in the name was important to us because malasaicin has many benefits. Um, it does target hyperpigmentation, which is um, something that there's kind of a, a hole in the market for products that are really efficacious and gentle on the skin. And we knew that we could fulfill that need. But as an antioxidant, there's global brightening, um, and we also target fine lines and wrinkles. So it, it truly is a hero, and it, it does a lot of things. So putting hero in there and then really featuring, you know, that what is with malasaicin was our goal. And we wanted something that everyone could just add to their routine seamlessly. Our serum plays really nice with any other products that you're working with, including retinols or harsh acids, anything that you want to use with malasaicin. Um, with our Hero Serum, you can continue pairing the, our product with whatever you like, or you can be minimalist and just use our product. So we wanted something that would be easy to use, um, that you could use morning and night, um, and that would really introduce malasaicin as a, a new and a powerful workhorse ingredient. Um, Mike, I don't know. I think I uncovered that pretty well. Is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, she, she usually does. But I would also just add that, you know, we didn't set out to start a beauty brand. Uh, that, that's like, that, that came later sort of by necessity, um, you know, for, for me and I know for Anne-Marie, um, it was really a... a about learning and uncovering uh, something new but discoverable, um, you know, and helpful in, sci- to many in, people, in scientific is, terms. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the the scientific mm. aspect of it. I just became addicted to that and immediately, like researching it, um, reading the literature, speaking with you know people who'd spent their lives uh, researching these areas of study, like specifically. I mean fascinating really fascinating i had no idea how how fascinating it would become and then when we sort of got to a place where we needed to make a decision about the best way to commercialize uh our you know technology for its highest and best purpose and that's when we decided to launch our own brand i i honestly wasn't like you know super bullish on starting a brand in the in the beginning because i was just so tuned into the science but then I yeah. kind of had the realization for myself that it's the same thing as starting a band, you know? I, I agree. No, like I in the it. heady academic yeah. space, your goal is to publish the papers. And we got the papers in the most prestigious journals for dermatology. And it felt like, oh, we're done. We like did this great thing. But we realized, you know, the highest purpose is to actually take that leap from the discovery 
the characterization to a way that everybody can use it. And it's interesting because the team that you use to build all the academic discovery is different than the team that you use to bring a product to market. And it was almost like we had to be reborn from the ashes and be like, okay, now we're building a commercial brand. Like we need a different team. Um, well, everybody that's helped us make this discovery are still along for this ride. They're invested, but we need different skills. We need somebody who understands packaging, understands supply chain, who understands just the beauty ecosystem, which is very different from the science and discovery research and develop ecosystem. So it was um, a, a huge pivot and a reorganizing of team building, but that's Mike's superpower. He's a, he. Yeah. He knows how to build teams. He did it when he was a kid. He he built his yeah. band. He he found the record label, um, maintained the relationships with everybody in the music industry. Yeah. So team building is for the listeners out there, I feel like that is that that's what will give you an unfair advantage in anything that you pursue is you find the right team and you are in it together. It's not a solo project. <laughs> And it's very important to listen to the experts in the teams that you build, because exactly to your point, like, I love the fact that like, yeah, the product kind of came, um, the, the, it was a science first, the product was second. And I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it, because you really are prioritizing the efficacy and, and the ingredient. Um, but then knowing that you have to bring it to market. You know, that I can already tell looking at the first, you know, you have the French, you're already thinking about Canada and expansion and Europe, and then you have like the clinical. So you're already investing in the right things from day one. As someone who's founded a brand, I know these costs and I know these thought processes. And, you know, we, I don't know it from me. I've known it from the experts I've hired and the team I've, I've empowered, right? But it's really important as well as when you're entering a space, if someone's thinking about creating a brand, there is a, a rule book to play by. Uh, and it's okay to not know it. It shouldn't stop you from starting it. You can just find the right the right people. So were you shocked when you guys started with some of these things and the costs and all these, you know, when you open Pandora's box, you're like, oh gosh, what? <laughs> this, yeah, this, stuff is, photo shoots are this science, expensive? <laughs> science, is exp- science is very expensive. That, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, um, that's and for sure. so it's like every penny. And exactly. I love that we invested real money into d- developing and characterizing this molecule because then I get to say it's a great value for the science that you get when you exactly. when you buy this and when we unlock mm. it to everybody else, um, the millions of dollars that go into research and development, you know, it's democratized in a in a bottle that that you can buy for, you know, fraction pennies on the dollar of the research and development that went that in. went in. I was about to say, and I think that's what people. Um, well, well, I think realize, well, not only from just not having normally heard this ingredient, but then all the science that you're showcasing, educating on, there will be, a, hopefully a lot of people would understand and, and appreciate the amount of investment that goes on, goes in behind the curtain to get to the point of even a product in a consumer way, um, which, I, which I know is mighty. But one thing I did want to ask is because the actual ingredient isn't something that can be I'm sure like, um, paid, like, you know, owned because it's like saying hyaluronic acid, um, the science could be, but then is there other companies that can now create products with malacetin or is it like, how, how does that work in the future? So, um, we're the first ever to characterize malacetin and use it for, uh, commercial use. Um, and so 
you're correct in, in suggesting that you can't own uh, an, an ingredient um, produced in nature. However, uh, you can own and patent uh, formulations that contain it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, different, uh, uses of it. And, uh, I think that we've done a very diligent job of creating, um, of, of protecting, you know, our technology and our invention. And your investment, which you need to. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah. core technologies is protected by patents in the sense that we have the formulation patent, meaning that nobody can formulate using malazazin. So no competitor could add malazazin without doing a licensing licensing agreement with us. And to further wow. our moat of IP, we've also built analogs thereof. So it's common when you are building when you're characterizing a new class of molecules that you um, that you're able to build um, other structures that are in the family of that molecule that are different molecules and characterize, and then you can own those molecules. Those are are different from the base molecule. And uh, we have a, a good IP folder of, of other molecules um, that'll fuel that's, our innovation pipeline about to in the future. Because that's the exciting thing. You know, it's like, um, it's going to be such a stupid analogy, but it's like Pokemon. You catch them one, you want to get them more, you know? So it's like, once you found one, I'm sure there's, like, it's like with us in Ayurveda, like we have an abundance. If you look for it, there is hundreds and hundreds of ingredients that you could start to find the beauty of and especially when you unlock the the potential of adding science and extrapolating things that potentially have never been done before gosh it's, it's even more exciting so i'm excited to see how it all develops um in terms of like i guess future because right now there's the molecular hero serum what is I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be mpd on the horizon is it predominantly going to be predominantly based initially on still educating and owning this uh malicacin, or is it about also introducing new ingredients very soon so we're we're focused on developing products for for you know the next few years that feature malicacin because it does a lot of really amazing things and we're continuing to learn um what it does and also how it can act synergistically in in certain ways so um we're continuing to innovate and our product pipeline is actually very, very exciting to us. We can't really um, reveal too much about Don't it, other it than to say no, no, that. Do not. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, but but other other than to say that every product that we create, um, it, it it has to be a disruptor. You know, for 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 us, for innovation to be very intentional. We we don't want a product that just slaps malisazin in it as like pixie just dust exists for the sake of existence. or just like a reformulation yeah. of the same you know we we've often say this but um there's virtually no innovation in skincare and it's you know a lot of you know baking the same cake you're just taking the same ingredients and putting them in a different order in a different quant in different quantities and kind of playing around with the formulation but there's really not much new ever happening um, it may seem like it because everyone says they're doing it, but they're, you know, and we don't want to do that and we're not going to do that. So we just want to make sure that every single product that we create, um, there's a real reason for it. And, um, and that reason needs to be backed by data and we need to be able to demonstrate, um, a good purpose for this product existing. So, you know, we feel like we're doing that with the molecular hero serum and whatever is going to come next, we'll absolutely demonstrate that and, 
probably even more so. I love it. And well, today, where is Mother Science distributed? Like, where can people find the products if they want to buy the Hero Serum today? You can get it at motherscience.com. We're still direct to consumer. Um, although we do have plans in the future to go on to some other e-tailer sites um, in the UK and also um, in the US. And uh, Omnichannel is our eventual goal. So um, we're early in gathering our data and getting to that, that next uh, level of distribution. But right now, motherscience.com is the jam. <laughs> it is the place to be. Okay, and now... I'm in a consumer. I'm convinced. I've got it. I've got it in the car. It's now arrived. I'm so excited. The best way for someone to use it um, is you, you cleanse. Like, what do you? What's the first steps? And where do you put this serum into your routine? So we want Mother Sciences Molecular Hero Serum to be easy to use for everyone. You can use it AM and PM. It goes on your face after uh, after cleansing. And it pairs well with anything else that you want to add on top. So if you use moisturizer and sunblock in the morning, perfect. At night, if there are other anti-aging treatments you want to put on on top of it, after it dries down, go for it. Amazing. Well, um, we're going to go to fire round questions now. But um, I normally have a desert island situation. As you guys only have one product, I think it's fairly obvious which product you're going to take. <laughs> but uh, you have a great duo deal. So I guess you guys can take advantage of that and get your duos. <laughs> so that's pretty cool um, on your website only. So people can check it out to get um, a great saving for two products. Um, but uh, I guess we'll go to fire round questions so first question that comes to your mind i'll ask i'll let you both decide who takes lead in answering which one uh i mean you both answer it but who wants to answer first so first question what's another beauty brand you're currently loving right now i love matter of fact um the founder is the formulator and um i feel like brands come up in constellations i'd love to come up with his brand and mike I second that motion. Um, we both love Matter of Fact. Um, and Paul, the, the founder, um, amazing guy, really smart guy. And um, we, we, you know, he's been very helpful with us as well. So we, we support what they're doing. Amazing. Oh, it's good to, I love that. Founders supporting founders. <laughs> this is what I like to hear. Um, my next question is, what or where is your happy place? And I'm curious to know if your happy places are different places, because that would be quite interesting. <laughs> I know you're why, happy. Why don't I, why, I, we, could, we could answer the question for each other, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, actually, okay. that's actually a good way. Do it that way, actually. <laughs> Mike, your happy place is at our cabin in Quincy, California, prospecting for gold in the river. That's definitely <laughs> my happy place, for sure. I love it. Um, yeah. Um, Anne-Marie's happy place... Well, she has multiple happy places. A lot of happy places. But, this is a hard one. To but do. no, I would say Anne Marie. Anne Marie gets into a slow state when she's uh, crushing candies on her phone, and she can kind of be anywhere as long as she's crushing candies on her phone. Like, and then she'll have like these. She'll have these realizations. She always has like a lot of her ideas come when she's when she's doing that. If she you need an epiphany. If I play a mindless game, it frees up my prefrontal cortex, connect things that are not previously connected. So all I have to do is lightly think about a problem and then play a mindless like cell phone game. It's not necessarily crushing candies. That was like what it was a long, long time ago. 
I've moved on. I, I do a different match, three match game. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it it works for me. If there's if there's a little bit of chocolate involved in it, that also works. Oh, yeah. Happy, 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 happy. I love that. <laughs> My next question. This is probably you're probably the hardest guest to answer this because you have so many. But like, what is your hidden talent? And I'm saying hidden because all of your talents are. I, I know a lot of them, but like, it's something no one knows that you guys can do. Yeah. We should answer these questions for each other because, like, I'm I, right? I, no. <laughs> Anne Marie is an incredible public speaker. Like, she has no nervousness whatsoever about getting in front of people or playing music, but speaking in front of people can be really intimidating and scary. Um, I'm used to being in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people playing music, but like getting up to talk in front of people is a totally different thing. And to act, to, to actually lean on your, intellectual abilities in that situation can just be really challenging. And I've, I've just seen Emory do that in ways that like are, I, again, like I'm just in awe of that ability. Yeah. So I think that's I've a, seen a that in this talent. podcast. Like I, 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 I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, she's so smart. So eloquent. I have to be careful of my vocabulary, my grammar. I was thinking yeah. this in the back of my head. <laughs> no, she, 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 there are certain things that intimidate her that are, that are like boring things that like, would surprise you but like that is not like getting in front of like tens of thousands of people or however many people and 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 really like making a point and talking through something uh challenging like she can do that without any hesitation whatsoever and um i think that's incredible well i like that you picked that as my secret talent because my secret talent for you it's just like mike surprises me all the time with these little things that he's too good at doing like he can break dance so well. Yeah. I never knew this about him. I was married to him for years and years and years. And we have this friend who was into break dancing. And all of a sudden, Mike was like showing the moves. And he had a nickname when he was grown up called Popcorn. Oh, goodness. So it hurts. Hi. It all hurts a little bit at age 47. <laughs> Mike is an amazing <laughs> skateboarder. He, we have a full-size half pipe in our backyard. And it's not a full size half. It's a mini ramp. Okay, it's a mini ramp. It looks enormous. Ramp. It takes up a lot of our yard. That's all I know. <laughs> it feels full and size. And he, he like drops in. He does these tricks that look like just terrifying. It looks like you just fall down and break your teeth every day. Yeah, you will. He, he does this for exactly. fun. Um, Mike also, little things that he's done that have amazed me is he's like really good at balloon animal art, you know, like twisting balloons. What? Like, we, we I like designing ke- I like designing chemicals. Like people don't know that. He also likes designing chemicals, but I feel like people kind of know you're a nerd. Um, yeah, yeah. The balloon one is a really good one because I never would have guessed. I'm not good at balloons. I don't know where she's getting that. I've from. seen you do it, and then I remember we were like watching a talent show where there's a ventriloquist, and I was like trying to do ventriloquism, and Mike like on his first try nailed it. I was just like, how just are you, without how are you able to just do that? Like, that's not an easy thing to do. So he's, yeah. he's like a man of lots of, of many, many useless, many talents. useless talents. Yeah. yeah, but it's super cool it's, party, party trick talent. That's what I call it. It's entertaining for our, for our children who are little. So yeah. like, like, it's that I can climb like a tree with this diameter and no branches. That's like the easiest tree for me to climb. <laughs> and I, if I see that right tree and it's the right moment, I go up it go. and I'm like, oh, that's I'm so cool. cool. Like, that is cool. That is cool. <laughs> uh, oh, my, my last question is, 
and again, this is a really hard one to ask you guys, but like if you want a beauty entrepreneur and imagine everything else that you are doing and we're doing or are doing, you also are not doing, what would you be doing? It's a very bad, badly worded question, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I wouldn't be doing anything differently, honestly. Like I, I, like I feel like, um, like finding the things that you're curious about in the world or for me finding the things that I'm curious about in the world is like, that's just like, I have to be doing that, you know? So I don't know if you, I feel like if I had all of my time back that I would, um, I would get deep into math because math is something where I feel like, um, there's something, to be plumbed from that. So many questions can be answered with math, with really elegant math. Mike and I recently stayed up until three o'clock in the morning trying to solve a math riddle that was actually impossible to solve unless you introduced extra dimensions. And non-Euclidean math is something that, like when I look at string theory and hear about the 14 dimensions, it's just way over my head. And I think, okay, I wish I could understand that because like so much elegance in the universe would unfold to me. And Maybe new discoveries or new epiphanies could happen with with elevated math. So I I don't think that I'll never get into a pure math phase, but right now it's something that I feel myself like longing to do and um, wanting to have more time in. I completely get it. I mean, for me, I'm like I spent my whole like I, I'm a. I mean, I'm a very good Indian. I love math and I did engineering <laughs> at uni. So you can imagine like I still every day do math puzzles and just like, but like I miss the old theoretical math, like going deeper into mm-hmm. theorems and understanding the, I mean, obviously the connection to science is great because that's why I did for four or five years of engineering. But like I do, I do miss kind of, kind of going deeper into the rabbit hole, right? I think there's yeah. so much to go into and books to read, but ultimately, um, Time, it's one of those things where we have to make the time for it. It's hard. It's, it's not impossible to yeah. do, but it does take a lot of time and mental space. That's the hard thing, you know? Sometimes you don't want to do that. Yeah. And math, math is this, like, thing that somehow seems to work really well in the world. Like, we can agree. Like, when we measure something, like, it's something that can be agreed, you know, can be agreed sometimes. upon. <laughs> sometimes. For, but but for, yeah. for, to a... To a to a to a larger degree than most things, so yeah. or, or really than anything, true. actually. No, um, it, so it, it, it really the thing I started having an issue with math is when you spent like so many years of your life always having a right and wrong, and then suddenly math became it's subjective. <laughs> and I was like, what's happening yeah. here? You know, when you have like yeah. a, a question and it's like out of hundred marks, and you can get never hundred, but you can get up to that. And it shows you how you think. And I was like, oh, this is now becoming much more complicated than what math was to me initially. But uh, yeah. it's, that's yeah. when it gets interesting in a way, when it starts uh, getting into, I guess, a bit more than just data. Um, but when it predictively but, uh, describes things that happen mm-hmm. in the world that we can all see and measure in some shape or form, it's like, you know, it sounds so simple and obvious, but with how complicated the uh, the world is and how little we know about it that seems to be a valuable tool <laughs> and will and will be needed as we continue on this journey but um but guys it's been such an honor honestly it's been one of my i can say it one of my favorite conversations to date it's been so fun uh i just 
I, I, uh, I, uh, no choice, but we're going to be friends after this. So you're going to see much more of me. But in the meantime, for everyone listening, where can they continue to follow Mother Science Journey and your own channels, maybe on social media? What are the handles? Yeah, we have uh, Mother Science at Mother Science on Instagram um, and on Facebook. And I'm at Michael Einziger, just my full name on Instagram. Anne Marie is at Anne Marie Simpson Einziger on Instagram. You know, we post stuff pretty regularly and um, it's been really fun. The brand is growing very quickly and um, people are really responding, which is exciting and uh, in unexpected ways too. I had no idea that like rock fans are so into skincare and they really are. So it's been, you know, I always been quite... say everyone's got skin. A lot of people have hair. You never will be surprised till they try a product, right? you never know um, but guys thank you so much and uh, I'll put all the links in the summary so people can just tap straight away and be sure to follow and also grab um, a product at motherscience.com for now and you will not be disappointed thank you thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.